I'm Mike Gillis. And I'm Casey Doran. And this is Radio versus the Martians. Is the root of the problem simply that there is? Is it's just a perception? I don't even know if it's true that that fan service is the is the engine that drives these properties, and that they have to strive really hard to make sure that they hit fan service. Is that is it just that they, they actually it's telling a good story is is backseat to that? See, the, and here's the thing: I def, I have a distinction between fan service and pandering. Yeah. Like fan oh, service no. is when. I feel like fan service to me, like, I think uh, Warehouse 13 did it really well. Like, there were all those jokes about red shirts and stuff, and it was never, ever felt like they were going out of the way to do that. It would, like, a situation would arrive, and somebody was like, this will be funny because, you know, like, we Star Trek jokes are kind of a thing that we do here. Yeah. And so, you know, it was it's the kind of throwaway comment that if you don't get it, it's like, oh, well, I don't get that. But if you do get it, you're like, <laughs> That's good because this is like that. It doesn't sound like there's a record scratch when that moment yes, happens. Yes, absolutely. Pandering is when it's like, uh, like the fan service is when Giant Man is in Civil War, and you're like, oh, cool, because you know some of these people probably re- know that Ant Man and Giant Man are the same guy. Pandering is when you put Jimmy Olsen in the first five seconds of fucking Superman versus Batman just to fucking blow him away. <laughs> yeah. Right? It's like I know this name, you know this name too. Yeah, right. That's cool. Watch, like, look at how edgy I am. I'm going to kill Jimmy Olsen. It's and like so if it's you like, feel like it's something that's forced in there by a suit to go, yes. oh, we have to have more references. We have to have more references. Yeah, exactly. It's like, like the appearance of the droids in Rogue One, I think, is a great example of just pandery bullshit that I can guarantee you is not in the original cut of that movie. And the really good version of it, and there's an episode of Community. I don't know if you guys remember the Imaginarium. The first time that that was revealed, it's that um, – Abed and Troy have this uh, room that they never let, um, what's her name, go into? Britta? Uh, not Britta. Annie. Uh, Annie. They don't let Annie go into this room, and they won't say why. They say, like, it's a closet. And she has to live on the couch because of this. And that they go into the room every so often, but you don't know what it is. And it turns out it's a room they go in to play pretend. And when you go in there, with no explanation, the entire room is painted black with a yellow grid on it. (laughs) And if you know what that is, you get it right away and you laugh because the show won't tell you what it is. But it's just fucking hilarious because you know who these characters are. And I think that's where it has to come from. It's I think The Office, the American version, did this really well. Which is that humor has to come from characters, and if the characters are well-written enough, all you have to do is present a scenario and a plot. And if the characters are good enough, the funny stuff and the character bits will write themselves because you know how Troy and Abed are going to react in this scenario. You know how Creed on The Office is going to react. That frequently the best jokes about the minor characters on The Office were just a look from them or the camera jumping to them because you knew them well enough that they didn't actually have to say something. Like there's an episode of The Office where um, I think uh, it was Michael tries to frame somebody by trying to plant drugs on them, but he gets tricked into selling like a salad. He buys a salad from a guy in the warehouse (laughs) and uh, they call the cops and the cops show up. And they say, like, we've been informed that somebody may be hiding drugs in this office. And the camera jumps to Creed and he looks terrified. <laughs> and that's the, that, I mean, they don't go into anything. And that was the beautiful thing about Creed is that he's like an iceberg character that 90% of the stuff about him is only implied. Like, right. you know that he's like a criminal and a creep and he may have committed murder and stolen someone else's identity and all this. But it's all just implied because if you made that stuff explicit, it would break the show. Well, I think, I mean, this is the problem with modern television and modern comic books and modern movies is that drama comes from characters, melodrama comes from situations, and that no good mm. writing is not um, to give you a trope that I hate and makes me want to shoot whoever did it and then myself. <laughs> the, the, the silent treatment plot where mm. every problem could be very easily wrapped up if two people would just talk, talk to, to each, each other. other. Yeah. Are we talking about the fifth Harry Potter book? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. 
I think my favorite thing about Harry Potter is like the fan theories that come out of it and like how like that's so much more interesting to me. But yeah, like I think this is something else that I find really funny. Everybody's pissed off about that droid scene from Rogue One that it's literally just them in a panning shot. It takes nothing away from the movie. It's not a cut to. It literally is part of the fucking shot. And I, hate like, it so I don't much. understand why people hate that fucking shot so because, much. Because it was put in there by somebody in a suit who goes, Well, I don't know. I think we need more things that people recognize. Nah, but the shot is already happening, and I don't think it takes away from anything. If, if they didn't talk and they were just standing behind Mon Mothma and like 3PO came up and gave her a drink or something that would be so much better I I will I will give you that if they hadn't talked that would have been fine but I think yeah I have a lot to say about that. Especially I, I when they, when they do talk, in, they have nothing to say except this, repeating plot information. This is something, it's funny because that that plays off of one of the things I really liked about Logan, which was that it was so subtle in a lot of ways. Are we going to get into Logan now? Are we doing our fun size? I think, we're, I think we've been doing so, our fun so, size. So, ladies and gentlemen, clearly what we're doing, we thought we weren't recording, <laughs> we are recording. This is, this is for, this is, this is for um, the archive, ladies and okay, gentlemen. Um, I, we have all seen Logan. Oh, yeah. Yes. And oh, I yeah. just want to say the thing that I love the best about Logan is it feels like the suits who normally get to inject all of this shit into movies were all overruled. Yes, because yeah. it feels like there was clout that uh, what is the name of James Mangold? Mangold, yep. And uh, Hugh Jackman both had a very specific idea of what they wanted with this movie, and they fought like fucking hell to say no, we don't want that, we don't want that. This is what we want, and that they ch- they cashed in every last chip they had. And with Hugh Jackman saying explicitly that he's not coming back after this movie. I mean, he can really throw everything out there and go, you know, I'm the reason this movie's getting made, and I want this thing. I want this to be my last movie as this character. And they got it. There's like the the thing I always tell people, because I've talked to a lot of coworkers who want sort of my impressions without spoilers of Logan. And the thing I say is it feels almost like an indie movie superhero uh, because it's not just what Logan does really well. It's what it doesn't do. Yes. It doesn't do gratuitous cameos. It doesn't do constant callbacks and Easter eggs. Right. It doesn't do these big flashback moments. It doesn't do a blue laser going into the sky. It keeps the the threat very personal, but it never feels small. Um it doesn't do big destruction moments. Aside from a scene in Reno, almost everything is in the country. It has a backstory that's told almost entirely through implication. Yeah. Oh, that, that you felt so good. Yeah. That you piece it together that there's this there's talk about this event in, in Westchester that you hear over like three or four different scenes, and it's usually a background thing or it's a side. Well, I mean, com- compare this, and I totally agree with you, compare this to that, sh- is it the opening shot or that scene from Days of the Future Past where you have to establish, oh, it's a, it's an apocalypse for the mutants and they're all being destroyed because that's what they're implying, right, is that there basically aren't any more mutants and some someone like Logan and Professor X are very rare there because there aren't many of them left. Um, in Days of the Future Past, they have this huge CGI set piece of like a like a dystopian Orwellian camp where they're rounding them up and sentinels walking around and stuff, and they're able to do all of that by dialogue, right? Basically, that that's all that's all it is. They they tell, don't show, and somehow it still feels as impactful as as oh my god, it's terrible! I can I can't even can't even imagine what it would be like to have all of them, you know, basically being the mutant holocaust. You can you can see the places in a lot of modern superhero movies where decisions were made by the front office to include elements. I mean, I think this is why Edgar Wright left Ant Man. Oh, it's absolutely why. Because, I mean, he had a very specific idea of a movie that he wanted to make, and I bet you the stuff with him, like, interacting with Falcon and the Avengers was a thing like, nope, we have to have this moment, we have to have this moment, you have to have a post credit stinger. And Logan doesn't have any of these things, and even to the degree that it has this big backstory, because it takes place in the year 2029, yeah. which, by the way, is the Terminator future, <laughs> which I thought is kind of neat. Um it, it feels very much like Looper to me. It has yeah. this. It has that same sort of aesthetic. It's like a. It's definitely kind of a post-economic collapse, 
a recognizable future, but with enough weirdness in it to make it work. But the weirdness and, is treated so casually. Yeah, yeah. Well, it doesn't. It doesn't appear out. Of, it doesn't appear out of place. There's not. There's not these huge. There's not these huge sweeping crane CGI crane shots of the, to show you. Oh, this is the future. And the things that are like the sort of the, the practical stuff that's in there is like you know the like the hypno energy drink yeah like the, the weird stuff that like there's just weird stuff that's a weird commentary on today which is like everyone drinks too much soda yeah, yeah. <laughs> like it's just it's so like it's so weirdly subtle it's 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 great i love that world. Well, i love the world building yeah i think that's i think that's so missing i i was leaving the theater after watching this and the first thing i thought was I, I really wish Chris Nolan could have seen this movie before he made his Nolan tr- the Batman trilogy mm. because I think it shows that you can give a superhero pathos and you can give them real emotional weight and not have to retreat on anything about them that is inherently ridiculous. Like we all I think we all saw the video of um of um Hugh Jackman doing the ADR, yeah. yes. right? Yeah. Which is ridiculous. When you see that scene in the movie, there is nothing ridiculous about that. It's he intense. is kicking. At, you're like, yeah. oh my God, he's back. He's going to kick everybody's ass. Every scene in that movie has exactly the weight that it should. Yep. I just, I love that they didn't, I, I, I really, really appreciate the fact that they, they thought about this. This is a redemption movie, which is another genre of movie that goes off mm. the rails at the drop of a hat. That really, it had, like, I felt bad. Like, I went and saw this with my kid, my daughter, and she was crying. Mm, yeah. I, I, I really feel like it it hit everything that it needed to, and it did it without flinching. And, of course, I think that a lot of the, after Deadpool and the huge success of Deadpool, everybody was like, oh, now they're going to make everything R-rated. And I was, uh, and then I heard, oh, the new, new Wolverine movie is going to be R-rated. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be a shit show. Yeah. But after seeing it, I'm like, yes. This addresses one of my huge problems with Wolverine as a comic book character is that you're taking an inherently R-rated character and putting him on a PG-13 team. Yeah. And so it's like it's like Leonardo with the katanas on the animated TMNT show <laughs> in the 80s where it's like, well, what the fuck is he doing with those swords? Because he's certainly not doing with them what he does in the comic books, yeah. which is chopping the shit out of people. <laughs> it's like you've just given a turtle, a ninja turtle, a deadly weapon and basically no authority to use it at all. So all he can do is kind of like, shame people oh yeah it's right yeah it's like the the same thing with like thundar the barbarian he has a lightsaber but it basically operates like he has a baton yeah yeah right (laughs) he just whacks somebody with it so it it just felt it felt really good and i think there were some i you know the only problems i have really are like nitpicky like Mm. i think there's way too many fucks in the beginning of the movie Mm. i think you could have i understand and i think as it goes the pacing and the language the dialogue feels a lot more natural and the gratuitous topless scene, which I was like, yeah. did we really need to put that in there? I'm like, no, we didn't. That's the answer. Let me answer that question for you. Um, <laughs> I think for, with me, the thing I really loved, um, probably the strongest thing, like you mentioned, you know, getting tears out of a movie like this, which is that there are a lot of Marvel movies that, especially Marvel, that I really like, a lot of superhero movies that I enjoy. But after that initial watch, I've not seen Ant-Man or Doctor Strange. Or the, if I revisit them, like Doctor Strange, I predict that the only thing that I'm ever going to watch again is a YouTube clip of him defeating Dormammu, yeah. which is the best moment of the movie. But I never want to go back and watch the entire movie all the way through. Yeah, it's the kind of thing where if it was on cable, I'd watch it. Or my parent, my mom loves all the Marvel movies, so she usually buys them. So if she puts it on, I'll watch it. But I, yeah, I feel exactly the same way. Well, it's like that was a lot of fun. It was a fun popcorn experience. But Logan is a movie that actually managed to make me feel things, Mm -hmm. that I actually felt emotion while watching it. And it's it's sad. That's where the bar is. I think Marvel (laughs) has been really good at building a machine where they make incredibly good serviceable movies. Our friend uh, Nathaniel Wayne on on his podcast said that, uh, or is it Ryan Daly? One of those two gentlemen said that- uh, the, one of those two gentlemen, fine gentlemen. Yeah, one of those fine gentlemen on the Council of Geeks show said yeah. that the thing with Marvel is that Marvel will probably never make a superhero movie as good as The Dark Knight, but they'll definitely not make a superhero movie as bad as Batman v Superman. Mm. They have their formula. They nail it really well. And I think with the exception of a handful of things, like I think Luke Cage has managed to break out of that formula and do something new that makes you feel and is touching on something important. I think Jessica Jones and Daredevil, that stuff they've done a better job with. 
Aside from that, maybe I have a real sense of affection for the Captain America movies. But aside from that, they've been mostly things that I consume, I feel good about, I enjoy, but never really become a classic in the way that I would view like the original Back to the Future, which I could watch a thousand times or watch the original Terminator or, you know, movies that that have an emotional impact on you mm-hmm. where Logan feels like it's not just a great superhero movie. It's a great film. And if there aren't people who start getting nominated for um, both acting Oscars and I could see this at the very least, I see it getting um, a Golden Globe nomination for Best Picture. So yes. wait, wait a minute here, though. So I I, I want to play uh, nerd advocate, nerd is, nerd is advocate. I don't know how you would say it. Um, I mean, there were some things that were undeniably the type of it's not bad because it's a comic book movie, but sort of comic book movie elements. Say, for example, the heavy in the movie being a clone of. Is this spoilers? We're we going into spoilers. Yeah, spoilers. Yeah, yeah, spoilers. Yeah. The heavy of the movie is a clone of Wolverine, who looks mm-hmm. like who's basically Hugh Jackman playing a stronger, fresher out of the vat version of himself. And if you think about it, like looking back on it, I'm like, yeah, that's the kind of goofy ass comic book thing that I would imagine. So some of that, some of that stuff to me breaks the sort of real the real grit of the real grit of the movie. I guess what 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 I'm asking you is like are you are just overlooking those parts because those seem, things seem to be obligatorily comic book. I you mind if I take a crack at this? Go for it. So, um I so because I'm I I think one of the things that I did when I was a comic book, I was like, they called that character X-24, but in my head he became Dokken, who is Wolverine's son. And yes, he's named after a fucking 80s hairband. Is he? I'm pretty sure. I'm almost almost, I think they might spell it differently, but it's pretty fucking close. I've gone out of my way never to say Dokken out loud because I didn't know how to pronounce it. It's like the word... Like quixotic, yeah. I know that's is how it, it's pronounced, it's, but it's yeah. not how the word it comes from. Is and I'm just yeah, like, exactly. I'm just not going to say it out loud. But. Yeah, <laughs> I, I will tell. If I said it wrong, I'll own that. So just let me know. But uh, I'm almost positive it's Dokken or Dakin, but that doesn't make sense. No. So, um, but I think I think that's one of the things I really liked about it is that that had a lot of potential to be really corny and cheesy, but it wasn't. It really felt like this was a threat. Because I think they did something very clever where they talked about Wolverine inherently being this rage-filled character Mm -hmm. without spending five minutes or, like, five minutes at 18 points over the fucking movie with everybody going, Wolverine, you're so filled with rage, right? Like, (laughs) they just made this character that's like, yeah. A personification of his rage. Yeah, and I think think that was really well handled. Like, that, that felt threatening to me. And I thought that was that well, was just a statement about it how well it was It done. doesn't hurt with the intro to that character stabbing Charles Xavier oh, through the fuck. chest. Yes. So you're like, oh! It's such an off-putting death that it makes it even more powerful because it feels like such a random, horrible, violent death for a character that you love in the middle of him spilling his guts and having an emotional moment. Yeah. Uh, what he thinks he's having it with a friend that he's had for a long time. The thing, the reason I don't have a problem with the Wolverine clone is that he, the Wolverine clone, makes this movie better from the perspective of somebody who comes into this movie having not seen any X Men. Yes, which is that you don't have to have a flashback to young Wolverine and what he was. Now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That how strong and scary he was. That it's about an older person who has all of these regrets from his past, but also these things that have pulled him in all these different directions. His desire to be a person rather than a weapon. And you can draw that into him having to face his past, him having to face his literal demons made flesh. Um, But also, it's the thing that he's trying to protect Laura from becoming. That you see the thing that, that he was afraid of being in front of him. And also the thing he's afraid of, the thing he's trying to protect her from having to become, because if they get their hands on her, they'll just wipe her brain and turn her into just a mindless killer. Mm -hmm. And there's that fear that you sort of have throughout that movie of, um, near the end, because again, spoilers, Logan does die at the end of this. One of the last things he says to Laura is, you don't have to be or don't be what they made you to be. Mm Mm-hmm. 
I mean, and again, that gets to me in a big way too, because I mean, being a fucking fan of the Iron Giant, the way that oh, I am, God. that you, the idea that you can be made with a purpose, you can be designed to be this thing, but that you're still a person who has the opportunity to choose what you are. Yeah, that the things that make who you are aren't the moments where Wolverine is running through the woods goring people. It's the moments where he's sitting at the dinner table. The moments where he's being a decent, quiet human being, being. and the fact that those moments are the meat of the movie rather than things that are just like send you there to held the meaty parts together. I mean, that's what a lot of comic book movies would do. There's for as gory and, and brutal as the action is, it's really spaced out yeah. over the course of this movie. Yeah. And that it's really a road trip movie. It's kind of like unforgiven meets little miss sunshine. <laughs> and, yeah, that strangely works. It strangely works. Well, I think the com the comic that it's based on, Old Man Logan, is mm -hmm. is uh, at least the Mark Miller version is is a road trip movie, and those are my favorite parts. And I think that's why I like this so much. I think that there's a lot in this movie about masculinity and what that means and the things that men are afraid of. Hmm. Like when he's sitting on the bed and he's pulling that claw out. Oh. Like, oh, tell yeah. me that. What they're like, uh, I think <laughs> I think we have, with a little bit of mental, like, thinking about that a little bit, we can all tell what that was the kind of a, a metaphor and for, does, right? His, his body doesn't work the yeah, way that it used Yeah, exactly. And I think, that, I think that Wolverine has been, and I was talking to my kid about this, is that whole movie all... Professor X wants him to do all Charles wants him to do and all Laura really wants especially at the end is for him to acknowledge her and right. he can't not because he doesn't have those feelings but because he has associated those feelings inside of him with the overwhelming dread of losing that person because that's what happened to everybody else right, right. and I think that this is something that um, weirdly enough the Lego Batman movie got into, and it's one of my favorite things about Batman is this mm. this idea that he can't be close to people because, in his mind, being close to somebody is a death sentence mm. for them. And I really like the way they played that, and I think that's really that's a side of Wolverine that doesn't get talked about enough. It's something yeah. Jason Aaron did in his run, which I liked, which is that knowing Wolvie is not is not good. Like, he's not a good person to know. He is not a good person, right? Yeah. Like, he is not Cyclops. He's never going to be that shining knight. And I think a lot of his motivation is trying to make up for the shitty things he's done. And yet he keeps falling down into that hole of, like, the minute I lose my shit, people are going to die. And I think that this movie plays with that in a really interesting and compelling way. Something else I want to say is that this movie didn't fall into the trap of a lot of movies where every fucking scene was overscored. Yeah. Like, oh, that's true. Everything was yeah. really well done. Yeah. And the, those moments were allowed to hit harder because it wasn't full of, like, booming horns and swelling strings, which is something that I fucking hate about today's moving-going experience. Yeah. Everything is overscored. It allows the performances to carry it. It's not insecure about that stuff, and it's trying, not trying to fill in those gaps with an over compensate with music yes and i think that uh one of the beautiful things with it too again we are getting back to this idea of what about these superhero elements that stop it from being a great film i i think it overcomes a lot of that because it surrounds those elements with this very stripped down human vulnerability that it's a story yeah, about yeah. a guy whose superpower is that it's really fucking hard to kill him and yeah. he's really good at killing other people what happens when that is mostly gone or it's broken in some way? That mm -hmm. it's a lot easier to kill him. That he's vulnerable on almost every level. And he's denied the... I mean, we talked about this with, like, Watchmen does this too. But, I mean, again, the Batman thing of... The universe wants Batman to look cool and wants to give him moments to give him an opportunity to be awesome. And when a story denies a character that and said, nope, the real world doesn't work that way, there's a bit where... They're in the truck and they're trying to escape from the compound, that like train station that Logan lives in, and they just drive at that fence. Yeah. And you expect that moment where the fence just explodes and they go through, but it's like, no, they hit the fence. <laughs> they break kind of through it, but the fence holds and they're just stuck on the fence. Yes. And it's those kind of moments like that where you're like, no, in another X-Men movie, they would have escaped. Right. But in this, there's sort of a sadness about it. And it's almost like it's about, no, we don't get that world anymore. We're old now. And now we have to struggle against this extra current coming against us of, like, realism. 
and being denied the ability to be awesome. Hmm. Yeah. You're, and that makes the danger feel more more scary and you feel more invested in it right. because you're like, you know, Wolverine really can get hurt. I mean, he can't shrug off getting shot in the same way that he did in yeah, other movies. Yeah. Him, him pushing out the bullets is, was pretty good, oh, too. God. So vulnerability is, is interesting. So I took... You know, uh, I like you, Joe. I'm a parent, so there was sort of part of that part of that play that's that is a little bit of a tearjerker. You know, for him to him to be that distant, emotionally distant dad, and to just acknowledge, like, oh, she needs your love too, as well. Like right. She's, she has your genetics, so you're she, so she's alive, but she also needs your love. There's also the thing too, which is for pa- for Patrick Stewart to basically be showing Professor X on hospice. Yeah, is so like. Um, him and Logan having to pick him up to carry him, Logan having to take him to the bathroom. And as someone who, uh, my father died last year and have sent to see your, especially the, your father who's supposed to be strong. Cause let's face it, professor X was supposed to be the, one of the strongest, uh, mutants in the entire world. And in this, like he can't control himself. He basically has to take seizure medication or something. Right. So he doesn't destroy people's brains around him to see that him being that frail, gaunt guy is just it's so heartbreaking it is so heartbreaking and that's a that so that vulnerability of logan's vulnerability about him not being able to feel professor x's vulnerability about him being close to death and of course laura's vulnerability about her being someone who needs guidance she needs a place to go um those that those just mesh so well together the other one too i really love is the fact that xavier is i mean he has some form of alzheimer's where he doesn't he doesn't remember big things and when But he remembers them occasionally and in small doses. And it's in those moments you realize that Logan is protecting this guy from his own memories. Their their places are actually reversed in this set. For most of the X-Men history, Logan is a guy with these missing memories of horrible things that I've done. But I know I've done these horrible things. And now that's reversed. And there's these little moments of lucidity where Xavier remembers that, and again, getting into spoiler territory, we've fuck that but then <laughs> we pretty much spoiled every yeah, aspect of this that, movie that this is a guy who because of the the breakdown of his brain uh as he aged as it's lost the ability to fully control what it is that was made him special which is these massively powerful psychic abilities and that he killed many of his friends or or broke the minds of all of these people in Westchester during his first seizure but he doesn't remember it and Logan is protecting him from things that will remind him of it because he doesn't want him to have to live with what he did. Yeah. And, and there's a just a little moment, too, where when he does remember every so often that he he sees Logan and goes, I know exactly. I mean, like I understand you now. Yeah. No, I. Oh, my God. That whole scene where where 24 stabs Charles and Logan finds him and he's like, it wasn't me, Charles. I was like. Why don't you just punch me right in my fucking heart? (laughs) But the thing for me is at the end, when he's fucking, he's hung up on the stump that 24 has kind of dumped him on, uh, and he looks over at, and he's dying. He's clearly dying. And he looks over at Laura and he says, that's what it feels like. And that almost fucking, uh, that was it for me. That was like, oh God, like, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know that you can be a parent and not, immediately and like relate um, just relate to that on on a almost visceral level because that's like for me having a baby was very much like oh there's a you know my wife at the time was pregnant and i was like i knew there was a baby in there but it was still this abstract concept yeah and it (laughs) wasn't until the first time that i held her that i was like oh shit and and just kind of that the fact that he knows that he's gone the distance, right? He's finding it. He's finally allowing himself to 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 kind of look, to step back, and go, "I did this thing. I did this good thing," and I I and the good thing he did is not just save the kids, but he finally acknowledges that this girl is a part of him. Yeah, and like yeah. I just think. Oh my god, that fucking movie was better than it had any <laughs> fucking right to be. Yeah. Even Coming you, after yeah. the movies I, it did. I feel like though it might be a little bit of a um a requiem for a dream movie for me in that 
I may not I may not want to watch it. I, it's great. I may not want to watch it again for fear of being like, Jesus, that was a roller coaster. Yes. Or leaving Las Vegas. It could be like oh, a leaving Las God, Vegas where yeah. you're just like, I'm glad I saw this movie. I don't want to see it again. Yeah, not a lot of movies. I mean, movies are willing to be dark, but I don't know if a lot of movies are willing to be sad. Well, that's, and I think this movie makes a lot of really ballsy choices considering the world that it it is in and the audience that it was aiming yeah. for and the fact that it has done the business it has and maintained no, it's tracking like 92% on rotten tomatoes yeah. it it makes me feel better not just about the future of the fox movies but about my fellow moviegoers because i'm like people went to this and they did not shun it yeah they are actively embracing this movie and i'm like wow that's fucking awesome i think it's a movie that was necessary because i think we've hit sort of peak superhero yeah in terms of there's there's something that needs to change now before we get sick of it and while i'm not the biggest deadpool fan in the world i will say praising one thing that movie did really 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 well and it wasn't the thing that I fear that movie studios will learn from it. Again, I, my fear is with that and Logan, they're like, oh, we need to make everything R-rated. Yeah. Um, what, I, what I think that these two movies did really well is there was very much a very specific vision that the people who made these were like, I want this specific movie and I'm going to throw everything else away that it gets that bogs down all of these other movies and makes people like, oh no, the studio doesn't want it, it doesn't focus test in this specific way and go, fuck no, we're making a specific thing with a vision where the writer, the director, and the star are all on the same page. And I Fuck, get that with yes. both of these two movies. We need to let superhero movies become mm. art. Well, and mm. yeah, and we need to stop. Good point. We need to stop coddling audiences and we need to stop trusting them because they will make, like, they will make the right choice you know i mean i think so i i fucking hate nolan's batman trilogy but i will say this there is a definite vision in there it's a vision i hate because clearly he was making batman movies like james bond movies about batman which is something i've come to kind of hmm. make me feel better a little bit about it but like there is a definite vision there and i think that i i agree with you i could not agree with you more I think the thing that Deadpool really did that is a, that is a, a godsend is that they were like, yeah, we're we're going to stick to this and we really don't care if people show up to like we're willing to take a smaller budget to 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 see our vision on the screen even if our vision is a guy that makes constant mas masturbation jokes and <laughs> you know it knows what it wants to be and it it doesn't have this I moment mean, where it's like afraid of not being for everybody it is, so, it's like so it's not just a smaller budget too because part of the calculus is that if it's an R-rated movie then they're just cutting off the box office sales for kids that are from that you know 12 13 right. on up so they and that i mean that's the reason why avengers you know the avengers movies and the characters end up making a billion dollars because oh, they are they're absolutely take the level of intensity and tamp it down just enough so 14 year olds will you know soccer moms will let their 14 year olds yeah, see wolverine it, can stab you know? people but you can't see blood right and i i, I really hope they keep wolverine in the r r and rated our land and i there's a rumor that's been going around that they want tom hardy and i would Whoa. fucking watch the shit out of that oh. because he's i i hate the idea not that tom hardy isn't you know good looking but i always thought hugh jackman was a little too tall and a little too hunky right to play everybody's favorite <laughs> yeah i think you can do it i mean you kind of saw that side of tom hardy in fury road already yeah yeah the sort of reluctant gruff badass uh which it's like such a trope but i don't get sick of it this is the same thing with like pits with spiked walls that close in on <laughs> our heroes <laughs> there's a reason they're still yeah. around now these are the things i kind of love it's just this idea of this guy who's reluctant to the plot um, that I really think Wolverine's one of those characters that he's on his best behavior when he's wearing, you know, yellow and blue. But then when he goes off in his own series, then he's doing the stuff when he doesn't have Cyclops wagging his finger at him. Yes. <laughs> well, yeah, we need more um, uncanny X-Force Wolverine and less X-Men Wolverine. Yeah. We need Black Ops, like, I'm here... If you're seeing me, that means I'm here to fucking kill you, not mm -hmm. to like be like, I'm gonna punch you. Or like, no, like, I I really think that I think there's room for that, and I think you can tell interesting stories because I think 
Wolverine is very much like Mad Max. Yeah. He's a guy that's seen all kinds of awful shit. He's only on this side of sane. And like a large part of what makes him interesting is the people he chooses to travel with. Yeah. yeah. That yeah. you always have to stumble into some vulnerable character's story yeah. and go like, fuck you, I don't want any part of this. And you're just like, D- but you know that there's, deep down. There's so much Western in, in Logan's character yeah. now that I think about it. His being, yes. his being the wanderer. Um, I mean, and I, you could easily, they probably have already done it, make a story where in it's Wolverine in the West in like 1890. Well, I'm well, sure they've done yeah, it already, right? That's, yeah, that's uh, his Wolverine origins, man. That's he, he was born in like 1870 or something, so that fucking yeah. totally... Yeah, that's perfect. Because he Logan. was around then. <laughs> and he was a mutant at a time when nobody knew what the fuck that was. And so, yeah, I think that would be great. I think that would be awesome. But I Westerns have a special place for me. Sure. That's because that's, that's what Logan was, yeah. right? Like how Logan. Well, they were and they were aping that in this movie, too, which is they did the whole Shane thing. Yes. They specifically had them watch yes. the scene from Shane oh, and recall God. the line. And I was like, oh, okay, I get it. I get it. Oh, yeah. I and get it. yeah, and then, then Laura recites it at the end. Yeah. And I was just like, holy shit. Almost any other movie would have ruined this but, moment. Yes, <laughs> yeah, how did you pull this shit off? Well, and I knew that the, I had bought that movie, Hook, Line, and Singer, where she comes back, she pulls up the cross, and she turns yes. it, yeah. and it's an X. And instead of being like, oh, it's stupid, I was I got goosebumps. I was like, oh, man, now I have to care about these motherfuckers, too? <laughs> oh. <laughs> like, I've done such a good job about not caring about the X-Men movie franchise because I think they're mostly garbage. I, I will, mm. and I, I understand that maybe somewhat of a controversial opinion. How dare you, but sir? I also know that Millions there's of people a, can't like, be wrong. Yeah, no, they can be, and they <laughs> fucking are. I understand. We in the we, especially comic book lovers, we tend to get Stockholm syndrome, where it's like, yes. well, this is what we're gonna get, and so I'm gonna fucking embrace it with everything I have. And it's like, no, demand better movies, demand more fucking Logan and less X3. Yeah. All well, right. And this is also uh, this will be the last thing I'll say about it is we talked uh, we've talked a bit. Around roundabout about the idea of universes and franchises being able to tell different types of stories and this is proof in the pudding that you can take the yeah. these x-men characters and tell not just a straight you know heroes against world world ending apocalypses um but it can just be a simple story and the fact that it can do it so well says hey there's there are legs to this you can you can we can you could do an espionage movie you know you can do a romantic comedy fuck there's you can do just a straight comedy which i guess is really what deadpool is it's just like yeah, an yeah. absurd yeah. comedy like you, you, these things can be done with this universe they do not need to tell the same story over and over again it's Absolutely. weird because especially it's weird because i look at things like the suicide squad and that that was the best example I've had of the worst elements of a movie being taken over by a bunch of corporate suits and yep. saying, no, we have to look at everything else that's popular and how do we force these elements that made money for other people into this movie, including overuse of like pop songs and oh, it was the it was and, the worst possible use of the of the focus group. Uh, you know, record scratch. Like, because oh, yeah. it was like, like, wait a minute, everyone likes the trailer. We're gonna have the house that cut the trailer cut the movie. Never well, a good yeah. idea. No. Never a good idea. They, they focus grouped the fucking trailer. Like, how do we force Guys, things? What from... are you talking about? Suicide Squad is an Oscar winner. <laughs> oh jeez. And it's not like the Oscars were just a fucking publicity stunt dreamed up by Hollywood to get bodies and seats during the Depression because nobody was going to see the movies. Yeah. It wasn't like the Oscars were a situ- a, like a situation where all the Hollywood execs were like hey let's get together and totally blow ourselves for an evening because that'll make america really love movies again oh wait remember the best thing a person can be joe is not the person who cures cancer but the person who pretends to have cancer Cancer, yes no absolutely (laughs) oh my god but yeah it's that honestly as much as i i am not necessarily a fan of ricky gervais the fact that he went on to a show that's mostly just self-fellatio and it reminded people that shitty movies exist and that these people aren't paragons of virtue. Yes. In the middle yes. of their, you know, they're like, it's just like, why doesn't everyone just jerk each other off? I mean, that's what these these, yeah. these award shows are. Although I will say something about Ricky Gervais. Ricky Gervais is the fucking A-plus a multiple gold medal winner in fucking circle jerking. And oh, he can God. do it by himself. <laughs> that man fucking loves the sound of his own opinions. And oh. a lot of the time I'm like, no, don't don't fucking talk to me, dude. Don't talk to me. You're funny, yeah, but that doesn't make you an expert on jack or shit. Yeah. Oh god. So yeah, I look at this and I'm like, you know, do we do we have a bunch of suits decide 
that you know. By the way, Crash won Best Picture. That just says everything. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> that you can have you can have these award shows get it fucking wrong. So Wait, blame the suits, Mike. You're always blaming the suits. Mo- oh, oh, look at they've uh, got a lot of blame to go around. <laughs> they, but oh. the uh, the idea that they try to tailor make a movie based on. Uh, data and and uh, mostly superficial elements of other successful movies, like oh, we're gonna make this like Guardians of the Galaxy. We're gonna make this like Deadpool. It's like if you want to do a, a franchise that you don't have to force, uh, DC that is Warner Brothers. If they want, they have a character that they own. They can already do things like talk to the camera, be an R-rated fucked up comedy. Um, um, action movie? Why not just make a fucking Lobo movie? Yeah, yeah. I mean absolutely. that is that is that is gear made already without having to change anything. But they're they're not going to do that because it, why are they not doing that? Well, I so mm. I've been thinking about this a lot lately because I have a friend that's like he he keeps he's like I'm I'm going to fix the X Men. I don't know how, but I'm got, <laughs> like I'm working on a script. I've got no. it all laid out, and I'm like. Right on, like dream that dream, right? That's awesome. But I, I have figured out how to fix the DC universe, and uh, it starts with it starts and it pretty much starts and ends with Superman. Mm. I don't know that I want to go into it right now, but it's 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 for pretty... fear that someone will steal your idea. No, Joe no, Preddy. because it's pretty long winded. <laughs> I just I think that it's if you the whole the whole problem with the DC universe and Batman versus Superman is that. Superman is never is not compelling. I think that you can start Man of Steel instead of walking around as sad sack beardy Superman. I think if you had him in some third world country, I think that the, that origin story already exists. It's called Birthright, and it's mm-hmm. really good. And I think you can take you can borrow a lot from that, and you can set him up and like and you don't have to. It doesn't have to be in Africa. It can be fucking anywhere. Mm. But. You have young Clark Kent, and he's telling this—he's telling the story of somebody that's trying to do something good in their country, and he can't save them, and that kind of makes him look back. And he's like, "I got into journalism because I wanted to make the world a better place, and here I am with all these abilities. I need to do something with that." And so you set up Man of Steel instead of this this fucking funeral dirge of a movie, right? <laughs> like you get you you set him up to be this fucking bright and shining symbol of hope and opportunity and trust and peace. So that way when you start fucking Batman versus Superman, it's not the ridiculous um Bruce Wayne has to drive to Wayne Tower in Metropolis to call the people there because a for some reason, cell phones aren't a thing. Like, he's got to be right in front of the building he's calling. I don't know who his cell provider is, but they're awful. He should look into something else. And also, the people in the fucking building are too stupid to realize maybe we should evacuate. So they have to wait for a McCall from Bruce Wayne to do that instead of that ridiculous scene that sets the tone for, like... That's the worst kind of micromanaging. It really is, right? <laughs> You can have Superman, the opening shot of Batman versus Superman is Superman hovering over Metropolis and just kind of surveying the damage and then thinking, okay, how can I do this, right? You you have a montage of him right in the beginning of like doing the little shit that Superman does that he was, right, like helping you, like searching for, like hearing somebody buried under rubble or something or like trying to fucking, you know push this building back onto its foundation or this, that, and the other thing. And you have this, this complete montage of him doing that. So you are immediately setting up. This is Superman's relationship to Metropolis, right? People were iffy on him, but now they see him out in the community doing these things, working next to them, working next to firemen and policemen. And it, it engenders this really good feeling. And the viewer automatically knows, okay, Superman's our guy, right? Mm-hmm. He's not in this fucking, like, dark blue, ugly, muted costume. He's in these bright... There's a reason Superman's costume is bright primary colors. Put him in those colors. Then you can have the whole... You don't even really need to change much about Batman, except the fact that he's blowing people away. <laughs> you can have Batman branding people in Gotham... And all of a sudden, you have set up the conflict between them without having to fucking exposit a word. Because you have Superman, who believes in the inherent good of humankind, and Batman, who believes that all humankind is guilty of something. And that sets up a conflict between them. And that way, they fight, right? And as they're fighting, fucking Batman realizes, hey, this guy could fucking turn me into a wet spot on the pavement, but he's holding back. And Superman is like, this guy's really fucking smart, and he's trying, he's clearly set me up to do this. What's going on here? 
And so that way, you don't have the fucking Martha moment. <laughs> you have a moment where one of them steps back and goes, listen, it's clearly I misjudged you. Let's talk about what's going on here. Because that feels or, much more or organic. Even, or even, I mean, you could have set it up in a more in a more dramatic way. You could say it as that Batman, in his attempt in this fight, does something stupid and endangers the life of innocent people. And then Superman leaves to go and save them. And yes. when Batman's about to pursue, he sees it and he realizes, oh, Shit, this is what I should be doing. Yeah. And stops. Yeah. And stops you can right even away. have the whole kryptonite thing in there, right. and that makes it even better because you right. watch Superman endanger himself to save civilians. Right. And then Instead of just endangering himself to save yeah. Lois. Yeah. 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 And so and then all of a sudden, and then the one change you make is is listen, like uh this this is why I'm here, right? You don't have the stupid subplot where Lex Luthor has somebody has has kidnapped uh, uh, Martha Kent and has somehow secreted him from fucking God, right? <laughs> because Superman is scary, he's a godlike being, and yet he exhibits almost none of that power throughout this yeah. movie. None of it. It's like you're telling me that he's this force of fucking nature to be fucking terrified of, and yet all he does is look sadly at the camera and talk about how people don't like him. Bullshit. Yeah. Fuck you, Zack Snyder. That, that was one of the things that I really liked about the idea of how they were framing it, obviously, before I saw it, was that people could be worshipping Superman man the only problem is they never ever gave you a chance to see him doing something worthy of being worshipped yes yeah. absolutely yeah. the uh the thing that, that i got with to try to fix that movie which i don't think you can but it fixed the worst <laughs> moment of the movie the martha moment is that you have a character batman whose entire life was completely altered by the fact that he saw his parents killed in front of him and that his whole life in the version of Batman that I want, not the version of this like vengeance angry guy who's branding people, but the version of Batman that says, look at all this pain I went through. I am going to sacrifice the last, the rest of what would have been a very comfortable life to prevent that thing that happened to me from happening to anybody else. And I will not allow another person to have their parent violently taken from them yeah. and to have a moment where he realizes that instead of Superman being this terrifying other, that he realizes that he's a guy who's scared of having his mother killed. Well, yeah, that totally. would be the thing that would change him. And going, oh my god, I see this. I see myself in this alien. Oh, now. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you fix that scene really, and I, he's I, just I, like, I have to help him. Yeah. I mean, I don't understand what the motivation to say Martha was, except that you thought your audience was fucking stupid. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, if Superman, I, I, I remember, that was one of the things that really upset me the most, is that if I'm in that situation, I'm going to say, they're going to kill my mom. Yeah. And if anything Batman can fucking relate to, it's having your mom fucking killed, especially because you couldn't do anything to stop it. It's, I mean, that one scene could be fixed by common fucking not overthinking it maybe yeah. i don't know but like instead we got a shitty scene out of an incredibly shitty movie and i want to set Zack snyder on fire that's what we got i think oh. i think that's but i think you can you fix know, I, joe joe say something nice about batman and superman batman v superman it ended yes <laughs> it had an ending. Is that yours too mike um what can i say about it uh the scene where he saves it, martha kent is pretty I, cool the I don't. I don't mind the stuff with him beating up a bunch of people. They, that was all right. Uh, Batman beating up a bunch of guys in a room. Um, <laughs> yeah, we always like that. Actually, you know that Batman being doing Batman shit. I, I do like. Um, uh, what is his name? Jeremy. What's his name? We played Alfred. Oh, Jeremy Irons was great. Jeremy yeah. Irons is great because I think the one thing that Alfred is great for when you use Alfred well in a movie is that he has a very dry sense of humor and he ribs his boss. Yeah, yeah he's the in con. little ways that he's a little bit long suffering, but also sort of a father figure. He's the conscience when Batman can't see past his own nose. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the Batman gets obsessed with something and he's the one that goes, oh, well, "Sit down, Bruce. You need to understand this." And he's the one person who can break through a lot of that, but he's also very funny. And I think yeah. that part was done really well. Yeah. Um, they had some weird surprisingly good. Like there's, but there was like a weird thing. So my favorite thing is. Nah, 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 nah. Yes, wonder. I was, I was like, I, I I was liked... like that's, that's that is the meme from it that I'm like, it's that's kind of cool. I, I'm like your guitar, your your riff, well, Wonder Woman's riff. Wonder Woman for all five fucking minutes, she was in the movie, kicked ass. <laughs> that's what I, but that's what I don't get. It's like okay, she's clearly super strong and she's clearly super durable, and yet you give the spear to Superman to throw, even though you know that it will kill him. Why not give, give it to the, the, the woman, to woman that comes from the fucking 
fucking culture that uses spears all the fucking time. Yeah. The one who's Jesus not, Christ. The one who won't get sick by wielding the yeah, spear. Exactly. The, and the only one that has managed to do shit to this fucking monster. I don't know. It seems like common sense to me. Uh, I, I, yeah. I will say this about Wonder Woman in the movie that she wasn't given enough time to suck. No, no, oh, she yeah. wasn't. But Good that's going to be changed, Good which point. means you have to cut this down to like a five minute version of the movie to make it good yeah, <laughs> you have to, right. which is that you have to give people not enough time you don't give Superman enough time to be sad you don't give Batman enough time to start <laughs> setting criminals on fire or, or blowing up their car you have to cut everything <laughs> out of the movie so Batman is just the scene in the warehouse and uh, Superman is probably just the scene where he catches Lois Lane. Can, can it just be the scene where he fucking dies at the end because yeah. I fucking hate that Superman? Can it just be the, it, so what I really, I want to start the movie off on a high note, which is Superman dying because he's, Henry Cavill is, I just, I know it's the direction. I like Henry Cavill. I liked him in The Man from Uncle, but... That scene is such a relief. I'm just like, good, he can stay dead. Why didn't you kill everybody else, too? And then fucking go and kill the people who made this fucking movie. And then go and fucking burn down Warner Brothers and DC. And then everybody will be happy. Well, here's, the way, here's the way to fix Whoa. it. Whoa, pump the brakes. Uh, no. Yeah. Here's the way to I'm fix sorry, it. I'm sorry, I got a little bit of... Just, just, so, a, the just way, a little bit. The, a little the, bit. The, the way to fix the DC movies, because I think beyond everything, the casting has always been very good. Yeah, I think the casting is interesting. I think that I have no problem with any of them, and I could see them in a great version of this character. Yeah, absolutely. So here's what you do. You make another Superman movie, and you ignore everything that happened yes. before. Yeah. Let Henry Cavill be Superman. Yeah. Let Perry White be uh, Perry White. You know, uh, let oh, Lawrence God. Fishburne yes. not be the guy who's constantly hassling him to write for sports because that's not how a fucking newspaper no, no, works. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, sir, he's wor- he actually makes a remark about, you know, sinking numbers in sales. But the, maybe the reason the numbers are <laughs> sinking, Perry White, is that you think like a puff piece about a charity, it may will get more people to buy a fucking newspaper than a psychopath. An expose. An expose on a psychopath branding people. Oh, God. Zack <laughs> Snyder doesn't understand that how newspapers work or how anything works yeah you're <laughs> including directing Kent, you're on sports you're like no i think we should probably have a dedicated sports writer who knows a lot about sports and has well, like pre-existing relationships with people uh, on no. the team so they can get good quotes people clearly get uh, assigned sports stories when they're being punished because they're fucking <laughs> because of plot devices that's that's the it's only like, reason anybody knows about sports it's like hey like i'm sorry you know i've Kent, you're writing the crossword puzzle this month. And you're just like, that's not how this works. People have fucking jobs. Lois, you're on the food beat. It's just like, what is going on here? Bad movie making. Radio vs. the Martians is produced by Mike Gillis and Casey Doran. Our editor was Mike Gillis. Our theme music was written and performed by Todd Maxfield Matsumoto. Find us online at RadioVersusTheMartians.com and send us your feedback at info at RadioVersusTheMartians.com. I... <laughs>